If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25 for our study this evening. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So if you're new with us to Wednesday nights, welcome. We're in the book of Exodus. So Exodus 25. Let's pray together. Father, as we spend time in your word, would you be gracious to feed our souls, to help us understand who you are in a greater way. And we thank you that you're the God who tabernacles with us, who dwells with us, who wants to be in the midst of us, your people. So give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and would you pour out your spirit upon us together in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna begin looking at the tabernacle for the children of Israel tonight. God instructed them to build this tent, to build this tabernacle where he would come and dwell with them, that he would come and meet with them. We'll see a lot of details tonight, a lot of measurements. We'll kind of cover some large sections of scripture looking at the different articles of the tabernacle. But I hope that you see why the tabernacle is so important. Uh, The first is, we'll find in our study tonight that the tabernacle is a shadow of heaven. Hebrews tells us that. So this is to be an exact pattern because it mirrors the throne room of God. When we get to heaven, we're going to see things like this that are represented in the tabernacle to a much larger scale with much more uh, grandeur. So that's important to note. The other is the tabernacle points to Christ. We'll see as we go through the tabernacle this evening that the different articles that are placed in the tabernacles points to who Jesus is. And then also, it's a picture of prayer. It's an opportunity for us to be able to pray through the tabernacle. We won't cover that tonight, but when we finish all the articles of the tabernacle, we'll look at how we can pray through the different pieces of furniture that are there in the article. More than anything is God wants to dwell with his people. God could have continued leading the children of Israel the way he was, but he wanted his presence to be with his people. This tent, this tent of meeting could never contain all of God's presence, but this was a place where God says, I'm going to put my presence because I want to dwell with you and expresses the heart of God. When Jesus came, John 1 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled among us. His presence dwelt with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. We have a God who desires to be with his people, to dwell with his people to the point where he would send his son to fulfill that. Jesus is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. God tabernacles with us. So I hope you get that message tonight as we look at the tabernacle. So verse 1 of chapter 25, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. For everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. God's calling for an offering to be able to build the tabernacle. Notice the offering was to be of your own choice. It was to be of your own free will. Then if you offered it from your heart... It was God's offering. God only recognizes the offering that is from the heart. 
We see in 2 Corinthians that the Lord tells us that he wants us to be cheerful givers. The idea is, woo, I get to give. I've been looking forward to this. I'm so thankful for who you are and what you've done in my life. And we're to purpose in our own heart. So it's what God puts upon our hearts to, to give financially to the work of the Lord. And God promises if you, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. So, so as you give and you pour out that, that giving, then the Lord's going to pour that back into your life. And so it was to be a willing offering from the heart. Here's the things that they could give. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Where would they get these things of great value? Remember when they were leaving Egypt, God instructed them, go to your neighbors and ask for the bling bling. You say, we're leaving. If you want to give to us gold, go for it. And the Egyptians amazingly did and gave all of these amazing treasures to the Egyptians. So here they are traveling in the wilderness as refugees with a lot of financial goods. And as the Lord put that on the heart, they would then offer these things to the work of the Lord. We'll see later in Exodus that so much came in that Moses had to say, enough, enough giving. When have you heard a pastor say that, right? So there's more than enough that has been provided. And though the outside of the tabernacle was fairly simple, as we'll see, all of the articles, the instruments are made of pure gold, millions. This would be worth millions of dollars that was, was given. In verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Underline that. Meditate upon that. I will make them a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God desires to be among them. Desires for his presence to be in the center of their camp. Worship and drawing near to the Lord to be a sanctuary for the children of Israel. Sanctuary is another term for the tabernacle. And that's our God. He desires to dwell among us. He's fulfilled that through his son, Jesus being Emmanuel. And we know the children of Israel. They're a mess. They're complaining. They're sinful. There's sexual sin. There's idolatry. All the things that can go on in our hearts and our lives. But God sees their sin. And even in spite of that, he's saying, I want to dwell among you. I want to be right there among you. I want to tabernacle with you. Verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishing, just so you shall make it. God is the architect. Saying just according to this exact pattern, I want you to design the tabernacle. Here's the reason why I'll read to you out of Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, 4 through 6, it says, But if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since they are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern which shown you on the mountain. So God says it's a shadow. 
And because it's a shadow, it's a, it's a copy, Moses, you have to make this to the exact pattern. So somehow the throne room of God does contain these different articles. When we get to heaven, we're going to go, oh, there's the table of showbread. There's the Holy of Holies. When the book of Hebrews writes and says that we're able to come into the Holy of Holies, we're, we're coming into the throne room of God to his very presence. So here's the first article. We're going to throw some pictures up as we read through these. I think the visual really helps. But all of the visuals are a little bit cheesy, as you'll see as we go through. But it does help to give us an idea of what these may have looked like. So we begin with the Ark of the Covenant. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. So a cubit is roughly from your elbow to the top of your hand, 18 inches. So it would be 52 inches by 31 inches by 31 inches. 52 in length, 31 in breadth, and 31 in height. So fairly small box. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make its molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I give you. So this ark, this box, was to contain the testimony that God gives, which is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses would be inside of the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of, of the Testimony. Why the poles? You could only carry this as a priest using the poles. You are to never touch the Ark of the Covenant, showing the holiness of God. When that was violated, death was, was brought to the person that says, oh, I'll just see what happens if I touch the Ark of the Covenant, touch the Ark of the Testimony. How does the Ark of the Covenant point to Jesus? Because the only one to fulfill the Ten Commandments is Christ. For the rest of us, it's untouchable. The holiness of God, the presence of God, if we're trying to touch God, we die. But Christ, who is our priest and our sacrifice, he fulfilled these commandments perfectly. So that's the Ark of the Covenant filled with pure gold, overlaid with pure gold, made out of acacia wood, common wood in that area, but very valuable. In verse 17, this is what I love, is 17 down through 22. You shall make a mercy seat of gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Cherubim is fat, fancy name for angels. So as we read through and you hear the word cherubim, it's an angel. It's hard not to think of chubby cherubim. Now that that's in your mind, you won't be able to escape it. In verse 19. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat. 
And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face one another. Their faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. The mercy seat is the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. So if you look at this photo, if we can get it back up there real quick. You mind throwing the Ark of the Covenant slide back up there? There it is. Thanks, guys. So here's the cherubim. And the cherubim are looking towards each other, and all of this serves as the lid to the Ark of of the covenant. And this is referred to as the mercy seat. And when the sacrifice is made in Leviticus for sin on the day of atonement, blood would be placed upon the mercy seat. Now keep this in mind when we read verse 22. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything that I will give you in the commandment to the children of Israel. Where does God meet with his people? Where does he speak? The mercy seat. We're going to have one or two types of relationships with the Lord. One is going to be through the law, where we're going to try to approach God through our performance, through our rules, our regulations, our Bible reading, our holiness. And that's only going to go so far. And ultimately, it's going to lead to death. The law brings death but the Spirit brings life. Or you're going to have a relationship with God that's based upon God's mercy. Where you go, God, I am coming to meet with you, and I know you want to meet with me because of your mercy. Because of the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, placed upon the mercy seat. Is there another time in Scripture you see two angels? When Christ was resurrected, there's two angels at the empty tomb. Possibly, fulfilling the cherubim here that are listed, showing that Christ, his resurrection, is our ultimate mercy seat. We're covered by the mercy of God. We're covered by the grace of God. This is where God meets with the children of Israel. Even in the old covenant, he doesn't say, I meet with you at the ark of the covenant. I meet with you based on the law. What happens if you try to remove the mercy seat? Well, death. You're going to be touching the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to be violating using the Ark of the Covenant through the poles. And death's going to happen in families. It's going to happen in churches. It's going to happen in relationships when we remove mercy. You may be going, why is it that every relationship that I touch results in death? It may be because there's a lack of mercy. You might say, how come I don't feel a vibrance in my relationship with the Lord? It it feels dead. Could it be that there's a lack of mercy? There's a lack of believing in and enjoying and living in the mercy of God. But when God's mercy is our life in our relationship with him, it brings life. The joy of our salvation is our strength. So when we have joy in the fact that we're saved, joy in the mercy and the forgiveness of God, you may say, you know what? Eric, I I really haven't done my part this week. I slept in when I was supposed to do my devotions, or I've faltered, I've sinned, and I don't know if God wants to meet with me. Yeah, he wants to meet with you. 
You're here tonight for a specific reason and approach God, draw near to God based upon his mercy. What a powerful statement of God that he says, where I'm going to meet with my people is at the mercy seat. So verse 23, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, a cubit and half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around it. You shall make for it a frame, a handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding on the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame and the holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. And you thought you were paranoid about your dishes. Imagine if your dishes were pure gold. And you shall set the showbread for, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. So there was to be bread on the table always before the Lord, the table of showbread. So why would God place this table of showbread in his tabernacle? Why would there be bread before him? Jesus is the bread of life who is broken for us so that we can be made whole. Tonight, we come to the ultimate fulfillment of the table of showbread communion, knowing that Christ is the sacrifice for our sins. So all the way back here in the tabernacle with the table of showbread, And when the priests would minister with the table of showbread, it's ultimately pointing to Jesus. When Jesus does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jews who are receiving it, their mind going back to the table of showbread. When Jesus says, I'm manna from heaven, they're thinking about this wilderness experience when he declares that he is the bread of life. In verse 31, the lampstand You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornaments, ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its side. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. In Hebrew, the word lampstand is menorah. Maybe you've heard that. That's the Greek word menorah. If we could leave that up for a bit. Sorry, guys. So just as we've read here, you see the one main shaft and then the three coming off of the side, then resulting in seven flames. The lampstand. How does this point to Jesus? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. He declared it. He's that center branch. In Revelations 2 and 3, we see the church described as a lampstand, as a menorah, and there's seven churches that are listed there. And the church is only a good source of light as it's connect to Jesus. And as we connect to Jesus, then we're able to be a light unto the world. So this is the only light inside of the tabernacle, these lampstands. So you walk in and, and how dark it would be, but then how much bright light it would bring. And Jesus is that light. 
Think of the priests who were serving during the life of Christ, lighting these menorahs and thinking of the words of Christ as Christ said, I am the light of the world. So it really brings to light the truth of Christ fulfilling this section of scripture. So let's keep reading. Three bulls shall be made like almond blossoms on each branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bulls like an almond blossoms on the other branch with all the ornamental knob and flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstands. On the lampstands itself, four bulls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, and a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstands. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. Then you shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And the wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Did you notice this lampstand was to be made of hammered, pure gold? Jesus says the light of the world was hammered. He was beaten. He went to the cross for us. It's at the cross that we really see the light of God's love, the light of God's truth resonate. When we pray to be the light of the world, oftentimes the way that that's fulfilled is we get hammered. We go through trial. We go through difficulty. We're broken. And in that brokenness, Christ is able to be revealed. Even the wick trimmers were of pure gold. Sometimes God's going to use a pure gold instrument to trim you. But it sure doesn't feel like it. It hurts just like any other instrument. Remember, this person, this difficulty, this trial is a golden instrument that God has ordained to trim me so that I can be a brighter light unto the Lord. Go into chapter 26. You guys ready for some curtains? Anybody working on curtains? No, no New Year's curtains projects? Blinds, maybe? Any blinds? Verse 1 of chapter 26. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of five fine woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim you may weave. So we've got this up for you that kind of gives you an idea. As we'll look through here, the curtains, the ten curtains are overlapped on each other. It wasn't common to have colorful threading. So they would use these colorful threading it would actually very be difficult to make these curtains and invaluable to have this kind of decoration in the curtain. Earlier this fall, or I should say last fall now, had the opportunity to go to Peru and visit Annie and Darwin, our missionaries there. We met with some of the villagers that were showing us their work with thread and how they would dye the thread and then weave the thread together. And it shows in many ways, how it would have been done at this time by the children of Israel. 
It may seem simple to us, but this is a masterpiece for them. Why the angels? Why the cherubim? I think as they're serving in the temple, and the tabernacle, excuse me, is remembering that they're in the host of, of angels. So it goes on to describe the curtains a little bit more in verse 2. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain 4 cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurement. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain, on the selvage of one seat, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and a couple the curtains together with the clasps so that they may be one tabernacle. A few things to consider with these curtains is though these curtains are amazing and valuable and beautiful, where's the real value? The real value is with the gold inside. The gold inside has tremendously more value than these curtains. The curtains really are, are fairly humble compared to the internal part of the tabernacle. Jesus, who dwelt among us, came in human flesh and walked in humility as a carpenter. Isaiah talks of Jesus and says that of his form, there was no comeliness that we should desire him. It wasn't like Jesus was so handsome that he stood out above everyone else. Physically, in his looks, he probably blended in with the rest of the Hebrew men of of his time, But the real value of Christ is internal. The real value of Christ is his heart, his heart of gold, his perfection that was crucified for us upon the cross. Why 10 curtains? Most Bible scholars think that 10 is the number of man's responsibility. Seven is the number of completion. Seven lights on the the lampstand. Seven candles on the lampstand. But 10 is the number of human responsibility. We have 10 commandments, 10 curtains, speaking of, well, this is what man has to do to approach God. And we see in the new covenant, the covenant of God's grace. So from verse 7 down to verse 30, it describes the curtains and how they are attached. Important stuff, great detail there, but I'm going to let you read through that and study that on your own. And I'm going to pick up in verse 30. You with me? We're in verse 30. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to the pattern which was shown on you in the mountain. So there's this emphasis over and over again to do this according to the pattern because it's a mirror of heaven. It's a mirror of the throne room of God. Verse 31, you shall make a veil woven of blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven of artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of the acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil with class. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be divided for you between the holy place and the most holy. So with the tabernacle, you've got the gate. And then you've got the outer court. And then you come in. 
inside of these curtains, and you have the holy place. But then in beyond the veil is the holy of holies. So the veil was to separate the holy of holies, God's presence. And only one man, one day a year on the day of atonement, could come into the holy of holies. The temple also had a veil. When Jesus was crucified, when he died, the veil was torn in two. What's God's message? Open access. We have open access to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God. Where the book of Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne room of grace. We get to come boldly to the throne because of what Jesus has done. Hopefully this makes us appreciate what the sacrifice of Christ has accomplished for us and realizing, man, I get to come to the Holy of Holies and spend time with the Lord. I hope you're enjoying time at the Holy of Holies. There's nothing that can compare with it. Just wake up and say, Lord, I want to spend time in your presence. Go to bed at night. Lord, I want to spend time in your presence. Get excited to come on Wednesday nights to worship because, Lord, I'm, I'm coming into your presence. Being able to spend time at the Holy of Holies. Verse 32, you shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon the four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasp, then you shall bring the ark of testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be divided for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the tabernacle, and you shall put the table on the north. So in the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Testimony and the Mercy Seat. God's meeting us in his mercy and his presence. And then in the Holy Place, outside of the Holy of Holies, you have the lampstand and the table of showbread. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five hooks of bronze on them. Pretty nice screen. Chapter 27. This is going to be our last chapter. You guys doing okay? How does this compare to the furniture at your house? We tend to go to SofaMart, our America Furniture Warehouse. Great furniture, but nothing compared to this, right? But I'm glad that we don't have any gold furniture be way too much stress. Amen? All right, chapter 27. You shall make an altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide, and an altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. So this is the altar of sacrifice, the altar of burnt offerings. I believe we've got a picture there for you as well. So we read through this, you can picture this. You shall make its horns on its four corners, its horns shall be one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. And you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basin and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings and its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make pools for the altar 
pools of acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. And you shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown you on the mountain. So you shall make it. So this is where offerings would be burnt unto the Lord. And you'll notice that now we're getting further out from the Holy of Holies. And what's the material? Did you guys hear that beeping? Uh, must be a big truck in the alley. So I was like, what's going on here? I haven't heard that before. All right, I got ADD a little bit. So focus back on the bronze. So the further you get out from the Holy of Holies, you've got bronze but the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, everything is pure gold. I think as the closer we get to the Lord, the more that we spend uh, time with Him, the more transformation He does in our lives. It's showing the value that's placed on the closeness to God's presence. In verse 9, You shall also make the court of the tabernacle for the south side. There shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long, for one side. Remember, this has to be mobile. They're moving through the wilderness, and so they would have to pack it up and unpack it and set it up. In verse 10, and its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and its 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and the bands of silver. Along and along the width of the court of the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court of the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 50 cubits with the three pillars and three sockets. On the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits and three pillars and three sockets. For the gate of the court shall be a screen between 20 cubits long woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall be four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall, be, shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 150 cubits. The width, 50 throughout, and the height five cubits made of five woven linen and its sockets of bronze and all the utensils of the tabernacle for all of its servants and its pegs and all of the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. And you shall command the children of Israel that they shall bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. So pressed olive oil to cause the lampstands to be able to burn. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was an olive grove. And he was pressed in the Garden of Gethsemane in his love for us, crying out to the Father, saying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not your will, but my will be done. Jesus was pressed, and ultimately it's pressed olives to create the olive oil for the lighting of the lampstand. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the te testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend from evening until morning before the Lord. 
It shall be a statute forever to their generation on behalf of the children of Israel. Aaron and their sons were given the task of being priests and ministering to the Lord at the tabernacle. One of the joys of serving the Lord is you get to be close to his presence. How many times in your relationship with the Lord have you felt a nearness to him when you served? When you serve him. It can be as simple as getting over ourselves and doing the dishes in Jesus' name. I'm going to meet this need in my home to serve God. Just because I love the Lord and this is a need and I know ultimately it's going to be a blessing to the Lord and those I live with and you find yourself doing the dishes with that attitude and before you know it, you feel a nearness with the Lord. There's something about getting together with God's people when we serve each other that we meet God's presence. We meet God's presence in a unique way sometimes when not just we're drawing near to the Lord ourselves, which is great, but when we begin to wash one another's feet, when we get to meet each other's needs, it's in serving. There's a joy that comes in serving. You get to be near to the Lord's presence. As you're evaluating 2020 and you go, maybe something's missing in my relationship with the Lord. Has we, have we lost sight of service? Have we lost sight of serving the Lord? And as we serve the Lord, we're near to his presence. Aaron and his sons got to be near to the Lord's presence in serving. Application for us tonight is keep these articles in mind as we'll finish up the tabernacle in a few weeks and talk about how you can pray through the tabernacle. If this is a a mirror of the heavenly throne room, to, to come to God's throne room and to come into his courts with praise. So keep that in mind. But then see how Christ is in the tabernacle. As God has designed the tabernacle of the pattern in heaven and how Jesus fulfills the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus fulfills the table of showbread. Jesus fulfills the lampstand. Jesus is the lamb whose blood was slain to be placed upon the mercy seat so that the veil could be torn so that we could go into the throne room of God. One of the things that's really awesome about studying the Old Testament is you see the depth of Christ in a unique way. You see these Old Testament pictures of Christ and how it was always in the heart of the Father to send his son to die upon the cross for us. And then ultimately, the application for us is how God desires to dwell with his people, to dwell with his people. God uses family relationships to show us his love. His illustration of Christ in the church is a husband and wife. And how a husband and wife long to spend time together, it ultimately points to Jesus' heart to want to dwell with the church, to be near to the church. Another way we see God's love is he's our father. He's our father. And as a parent, we love to dwell with our children, to be a part of their lives, for them to be a part of our lives. Here in the Old Testament, this tabernacle is God making great effort to say, I want to dwell among my people. I want to be a sanctuary for them. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, our Savior, who's died and risen, is with us. He dwells with us. We are living in a relationship with God that's so better, so superior than that of the Old Testament because the Spirit of God is living inside of us. 
God is dwelling with us in such a personal way compared to this in this time. I know for some of us, we go, oh, this would be great to live in this time of the tabernacle. It's so tangible. You could come to the tabernacle. Maybe you're a priest and you could enter in. But we have something far better. Because of what Christ has done for us, we get to enter into his presence and the spirit of God lives inside of us. So we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna pray a couple of prayer requests tonight and then we're gonna enter into uh, communion A lady from our church uh, approached me right before service. She's from Puerto Rico and has family that's been affected by this earthquake. They're they're all okay, but definitely have had uh, their lives affected. And it's where she grew up and so has a lot of family and friends. She asked that we would pray for Puerto Rico tonight. And then as we see everything that's taking place in Iran, I think it's an awesome opportunity to come before the throne room of God to ask that the Lord would intervene um, and bring people to uh, himself. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing picture of you, that you are the light of the world, that you're the bread of life on the table of showbread, that you're the sacrifice for our sins, and as the blood would come in through the veil to the Holy of Holies, placed on the mercy seat, that your blood... It's taken to the Holy of Holies in heaven and is the atonement for our sin to where right now we get to enter into your throne room. We come before you with praise. We come into your presence with, with thanksgiving. We do lift up the people of Puerto Rico and especially those that have been affected by this earthquake, that you would comfort them, that you would use believers to reach out in this time with your love, to be the hands and feet of Christ. We pray for the family members that are directly linked to the sister in our fellowship and just pray that you would minister to them. Lord, you see the nations and you see the nation's rage. You see the conflicts that are taking place and you know where they will lead to. And Lord, we do ask for peace. It would be our desire to see everyone live together in peace, to see these conflicts come to resolution. But we do ask that through what's taking place that people's eyes would be turned to you, you, Jesus, the King of Kings. Here in the United States, that you'd give wisdom to our leaders. Lord, in Iran, that there'd be a spiritual revival, that many would come to know you. We know that Satan is the author of death, He wants to kill and steal and destroy, but you came to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. Father, we come before you and just lift up this month in our lives and pray that we could come frequently and often to your throne room, just enjoying your presence even tonight as we take communion, that it wouldn't be an empty tradition, but a true time of remembering, a true time of entering in. Or we lift up Nick coming at the end of the month and pray you'd bring youth here and get them this message of hope. Or bring people that are in a place where they're overwhelmed with depression and suicide and set them free with your love. Pray it would spark just lasting fruit in our lives and in our city the needs that we have in our lives, the fears that we have in our lives, Lord, would you just meet with us tonight? 
Would you be gracious to continue to bless the study of Exodus and the meat and the depth of you in the Old Testament scriptures? So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.